Welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 115. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. This is College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. We are here today to talk about uh, Nebraska's game against Purdue, as well as the other big games from week nine of college football, uh, the first release of the playoff rankings for this season, and uh, what we've got coming up next week. But before we dive into all that, we're going to go with our tradition and uh, break a beverage. I know all the Husker fans out there could probably use a little alcohol in their systems. So uh, what what do you got today, Dad? Well, I have uh, the Kilt Lifter Scottish Style Amber Ale. I had one of these last week. It's a wonderful uh, beer made by Four Peaks Brewing Company out of Tempe, Arizona. So it's a local uh, brew here in the Arizona area that I'm staying in for the winter. And uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous, a um, little, little higher than average alcohol content, but, uh, but just a really wonderful flavor beer. All right. And I've got uh, my Sapporo here. I switched it up from the, the cider from last time. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes, the Japanese premium beer here. Okay. So, all right, here we go. Here you go, son. Cheers. Cheers. All righty. Okay. These kilt lifters are always a cheat, treat for me. Better enjoy them then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. So on the previous podcast, um, we gave our usual predictions for the game. Um and we knew this this was an important one because this is the last kind of team on our schedule that is lesser than us in terms of talent, you know, in terms of like a team that uh, we should on paper be able to beat because the rest of our schedule is pretty tough. And uh, I was being the optimistic one and I predicted that um, our offense would get together, our defense would slow them down and we would win uh, 28 to 14. Uh, and then you were a little more realistic and said that Purdue would end up winning uh, 35-31. And the final score ended up being uh, 28-23. So you're pretty close on the uh, the point spread, four points versus five. And I'm pretty sure on the previous podcast you said something like, you know, that uh, we'll be down by like two scores and we'll get a touchdown late, you know, and make it a one-score game yet again. But it won't matter because we'll still lose. And uh, frankly, that's exactly what happened. So. Look at you. Well, you know, it's not like that's hard to predict given our recent history, Alex. It has been the nature of our team uh, during the Scott Frost era. And I think it's fundamental now to the way that we approach our preparation that leads to this set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, I learned something in my research for this podcast. Um, This quote is attributed to Albert Einstein, but apparently uh, it wasn't him uh, that's misattributed. It was actually uh, Rita Mae Brown, a novelist, who said the famous line, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And uh, unfortunately, that's kind of the situation we've been in uh, here with Scott Frost in Nebraska this season is that, you know, we come out we make stupid mistakes and we find a way to you know to make it close at the end you know but we always we can't ever actually close it out 
even in this game where our uh, troubled kicker from this season, Connor Culp, came out and, and kicked a beautiful onside kick that it looked like we we got, you know, when you saw it in the moment. Um, and of course, we didn't, though, and the game was over at that point. Even if we had gotten it, there was only one minute left in the game. But being down um, five points, uh, we would have still had a chance, at least, even though I still would have probably predicted that we would lose. Uh, but this was a this was a tough one with uh, Adrian throwing four interceptions after I believe he'd only thrown three interceptions the whole season prior to this. Um, you know, which was a problem he had in the past where he was throwing picks all over the place, fumbling it. You know, he's been better about that this season until now, you know, and the fact that uh, Scott didn't switch him out after he had thrown the third pick was, or even the second pick, arguably, uh, I know it was a frustration for both you and I as Husker fans. That is true. And, and you know, again, this script has been written and then repeated over and over and over again. And uh, at this point, I have to question Scott's uh, decision-making and his coaching uh, and his recruiting, his whole program. I mean, if you're telling me that at the end of, you know, four years, you don't have a backup quarterback that you trust enough that you can't pull your starter at least for a couple of series to let him watch from the sidelines and, and get his composure back, when he's clearly making stupid, stupid, un, uh, inappropriate uh, decisions, then that's a you problem, Scott. I can't blame the kid. He's just being stupid. You're the coach. You have to get him off that stage and give him the opportunity, you know? So I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it w- definitely was frustrating. And I was saying to you that um, either – there's only two things that are conceivable in my mind. Either uh, Scott is like, you know, ride or die with Adrian. And like, he knows that his job, he's in the hot seat. And he's like, I'm going to, whether it's good or bad, I'm going down with this kid, you know, cause I really believe in him and I don't care if I get, well, not that I don't care if I get fired, but you know, I've accepted that at this point. Uh, or uh, Smothers is so unbelievably bad in practice that he, just feels like he can't bring him out, which seems odd because the little bit we have seen of him this year, he's looked like decent at least, you know, not like anything special, right. but you know, if he's not throwing picks left and right, like Adrian is, even if he's not, you know, able to, uh, to go deep at all, at least that's an improvement. Right. And, and, and if not smothers, then what about the third string guy who is a true freshman but now is in. We're into our last four games, so he could have played because he can play four games uh, in a season, you know, and still retain his redshirt. So even he is an option. So you still have two alternatives to to uh, uh, Adrian that you could have used. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't, I don't understand why Scott wouldn't have at least given that a chance when when the game was still uh, a possibility. Yeah. Um, there, there are so many other things about this game, though, Alex, the, the missed opportunities. You know, at halftime, we should have been up at least 10 points. I mean, we had, uh, again, an Adrian uh, wide open, wide open, our best receiver, our sh- uh, sure-handed receiver, um, you know, um, um, is wide open uh, just before half, and mm-hmm. he overthrows him. 
Right. Okay. You know, those are the kinds of plays that you got to make. Right. And you could tell that he was trying to, you know, throw in stride with him to like guarantee the touchdown. But that I think the commentator said that's one of those plays where you maybe under throw the ball a little bit. The guy has to slow down, but he's so wide open, you know, that he right. can afford to do that and still catch it, you know, but he tried right. to do the perfect pass and overthrew him. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and he had he had good protection on that particular occasion. He wasn't being pressured. He had, you know, perfect throwing motion. That's the throw that a good quarterback makes 99 times out of 100, right? And somehow, Adrian can do those 99 times during practice, apparently, but the one time is always in the game. Right. And that's the problem. Well, and except it's more than one time because he overthrows receivers a lot. Oh, absolutely. And then later, obviously, in the second half, uh, you know, after, of course, having the absolutely absurd uh, forward lateral interception pass, then having the absurd, um, uh, you know, overthrow where again, we have a wide open receiver, uh, and he overthrows him so badly that a defensive back who is literally 10 yards or more away is the one who ends up making the interception because he so badly overthrows our receiver who is wide open. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't think Scott's offense uh, if it was being run by somebody who understood the, the the mental time clock and all that stuff, I understood that. Uh, uh, I mean, if if we could get a guy that has that, Scott Scott's offense would work so much better. But we are uh, continuously being, you know, guided by the leash of the the broken mental toughness and mental approach of Adrian Martinez because he shows off incredible athleticism. I mean, if Adrian took that 5% of decisions that he makes every single game that are atrociously bad and, and he reduces that to 1%, he's an NFL player mm-hmm. and NFL quarterback. Right. Well, and like I was talking about him throwing a Toure in stride there on that wide open ball. There was a ball yeah. I remember earlier in the game where he did throw a beautiful pass right in stride with a receiver and, you know, it was yep. a great catch. Um, so like you say, he does it in practice. It's not like he can't do it. It's just the consistency, you know, the, what he does when he's getting pressured from the offensive line. And even that shuttle pass, I could swear that there was a situation like that earlier in the year, right? Where he was getting pressured about to be tackled and he shuttle passed it to a guy who was kind of open and it turned into a positive play for us, That's but, correct. But, but it was risky. And then he does it here. In a, in a situation where he is way off balance and it just goes directly to the to exactly. the uh, Purdue guy. I, I'm not saying a forward lateral pass is a, is is a, in and of itself a uh, um um what do I want to say um, a poor decision a, a bad decision but the circumstance is the one that you have to figure out. He threw it in uh, a mess of three defenders. Okay, not not a situation where he sees a guy that, oh, is wide open late that I can flip it to, which is what he had done successfully earlier in the season. Yep. Um, Focusing on some of the positives, um, one thing we did see was that we had a new field goal goal kicker, uh, Contreras, Contreras, um, and uh, he only was brought out for one field goal in the game, but he did make it, you know, it wasn't like a 50 yarder or something. It was like in the thirties, I think, but 
you know, you could tell that he was happy and the the, the, the team was relieved. So uh, I was happy to see Scott finally make that adjustment after Connor Culp has been so off and on um, this whole season. Um, and I believe he was coming out as our uh, punter as well. Um, and we did, you know, decently fine on punting. I think we averaged like 40 yards per we punt. Did. Um, you know, yep. so to give... That's one thing I have noticed, like, you know, we, we had like those issues with like tons of penalties earlier in the year and then the atrocious special teams, you know, and by now, like that has cleaned up, you know, we only had, um, let's see here, four penalties in the game, you know, which like one per quarter on average, right? I think that's reasonable expectation if you're a coach. Um, and, uh, and also, like I mentioned with Adrian, right, it all the interceptions he was throwing in like his junior or sophomore year, you know, he definitely cut, cut back on that this year until this game where we had four in one game. Um, so it's like, I can see that there are areas we're improving, but it, fe- it feels like, you know, taping up the holes in a boat that's leaking, you know, you, you, you manage to tape up one, but then a new one pops up somewhere else or the tape you had put on that exactly. thing just comes off <laughs> two months right. later or whatever. Absolutely. And, and those, and those, yeah, those repairs keep breaking repeatedly in, in different games. They might go away for a game or two, but then it, the, the leak re-exposes itself. And so that's not building a program that's plugging holes and, and basically just stopping the link to make sure that you don't completely drown. Well, I think he's completely drowning. Now. I, I mean that because the last opportunity for us to have a victory was last week. And now here's the embarrassing thing is we're now going to be looking forward to three games where we likely are uh, going to be out athleted as well as out coached. And that means the disparity in the, in the scores and the ugliness of the performance is going to get a lot worse. And I just don't see the players hanging in there. Okay. Um, so, and, and, you know, so then you have to look deeper, Right. I can't look to wins and losses. I got to look at what else is going on in the program. Is the work ethic where it needs to be? That's that's something that's central to Trev Albers. He's made that clear from from his initial news conference when he was announced as the new athletic director that he's a guy that doesn't have a lot of um, outside interest, outside hobbies. He is he is a guy that that believes in working hard, and and he and he he wants us to be the hardest working uh, athletic department in the country. And so he's going to place that expectation on people because he places that expectation on himself. And, uh, Scott, uh, I get the sense has had trouble adjusting to the level of expectation and demand from a work ethic standpoint that is required in the big 10 in big boy football versus what he did previously when he was out West. You know, I, I granted, I, I will concede pac 12 is, was uh, you know a power five football, but I have a feeling that the Pac-12 coaching um, staffs in general are a little more laid back. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that we were texting about a little bit a couple days ago was because I remember when Scott was announced as our coach and he said he was going to bring back his whole UCF staff. You know, we were like, well, it's kind of a, a bit of a gamble, right? You know, you could go out and probably get guys that are perceived to have better talent or whatever as assistants. Um, but there might be a cohesiveness, right, to keeping this 
coaching staff together that had just done so well, had this undefeated season at UCF, right? So we were like willing to go with that. And unfortunately, it's kind of turned out that that probably wasn't great. And you showed the stat of the fact that uh, Mel Tucker at uh, at uh, Michigan State Michigan State has hired, you know, like 70 years worth of Big Ten, you know, Power coaching, five experience. Yeah, coaching yeah. talent, you know. Uh, although, right. to counter that, um, admittedly, it wasn't Big Ten talent, but a lot of the people on, like, Mike Riley's staff, right, were, like, senior coaches, had many years of experience, you know, coaching in uh, in football and things like that. So, you know, experience is in right. everything, certainly. No, uh, but exactly. And, and you need lots of youth as well because you need recruiters. So you need a – you need a, a team that's going to be a combination of expertise and experience combined with some youth uh, that's going to uh, give you that high-energy recruiting element. And uh, we don't have that within Scott's staff, right? And so we've had an awful lot of learning on the job going on, and that is a challenge. Yep, and like we say, we've seen improvements. Like with Shenander, you know, I know we gave him a lot of crap last year, and you know, he, he saw his problems this year. But like in this game, you know, they were passing it all over us um, in the first half, and we made adjustments in the second half, and were able to shut them down quite a bit more defensively. Even with uh, Adrian throwing three picks over the course of that half, we only gave up. Uh, 14 points, uh, assisted by them missing two field goals over the course of the game, I will concede. But still, you know, he's somebody we've seen some improvement with. Um, But I gave a prediction uh, before the season started in our preseason podcast that if Scott had another four-win season or worse, then he would be fired this year. And I now we're looking at most likely a three-and-nine season. And I, I can't see Albert's keeping Scott around after four years of that kind of performance. It, it It's just not, not conceivable to me. Right. Well, I think the things that uh, there's other things at play and that's where I think we have three paths that we can discuss. The one you just described, which is uh, Scott is uh, uh, let go by Trev after the season is over. And then, you know, he goes through the process of finding a new coach and, spending all the money required to do that, to, to send this staff uh, and, uh, and all their years that they still have on contract and writing those checks and, and conceding that in exchange for getting another coach. Okay, uh, that's, that's option one. Option two is that um, Trev doesn't fire, but Scott, on his own, acknowledges that he has failed to meet the standard um, that was expected of him, that we had given him five years to do so, that he had not demonstrated any progress in that effort. So uh, if, if he did that approach, then maybe uh, that saves a little face for him and doesn't put Trev Alvarez in that situation or his alma mater in the difficult situation that, that they're going to be put in. And then the third option, of course, is that Trev retains him gives him the opportunity to, uh, you know, right the ship, so to speak, uh, and uh, keeps him for another couple years, you know, so that he can make some changes in his staff, which will probably happen naturally, right? Uh, it'll, it'll kind of occur organically. Some of the coaches are going to bail because uh, they're going to see the sheep sinking ship and say, I'm, if I've got another opportunity, I'm going to seize on it. So there's going to be turnover. 
there will probably be some portal issues regardless this year, whether we keep him or, or fire him. But bottom line is we keep him for another two years because if you're gonna if you're not gonna fire him this year, there's there's a greater likelihood, I think, that unless there's a mass exodus of athletes and talent that will at least um, uh, win four games plus next year uh, and maybe even get the six or seven. And now what do you do? Now you got a, a guy who's had one winning season in, you know, whatever that would be, five years, six years, and, uh, <laughs> and, and his one winning season was like seven and five. Well, right. Well, but it, that's my thing. If Alberts gives Scott another year and say we are a seven and five next year, I think fa- fans will totally calm down because fans want Scott to succeed. You know, of course, he's our famous previous quarterback, right? We want him right. to succeed. We're willing to give him, you know, that time to develop things. If you know he's at least getting to like decent results, right? Like seven and five, you know, six and six, right. you know. But three yeah. win, four win seasons, multiples yeah. years in a row. He's worse than Riley in terms of record, and we kicked Riley right. out like as soon as we could, you know. And spiraling, uh, horrible recruiting. Exactly. Horrible recruiting. So I can concede this one year of recruiting because of how this year has gone, but what about for next year, right? You damn well better have a great start next year so that you can end up with a great recruiting class uh, to su- supplant all the talent that you're losing because you have now had basically two years where you've brought in very little talent. Otherwise, if you don't, then when you fire him, you're leaving the cupboard completely bare right? Like all the talent's gone. Now, maybe in this new era of the portal, that's going to be true no matter what, right? Because the really talented guys are probably going to leave uh, for greener pastures anyway, uh, if their coach is fired. I don't know. I might be wrong about that, but, but, uh, you know, I just think that the whole portal movement thing is going to create uh, that circumstance where even a team that has quite a bit of talent that's been stocked by a previous coach who hasn't been able to do it on the field but certainly succeeded on the recruiting trail, uh, a lot of those recruits are going to go away with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what I'm curious to see coming up here, because like you say, we've got Ohio State this weekend, then we've got a bye week, then we have Wisconsin and Iowa. So tough Mm -hmm. final three games for us. Um, And But I wouldn't be surprised if – we at least make one of those like really close and competitive, you know, cause we've shown, you know, that we can right. do that against oh, yeah. uh, Oklahoma, against Michigan state, Michigan, Michigan. State, yeah. 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 We've, yep. we've shown that we can compete. Like I said, on a previous podcast, it seems like we kind of play up or down to our, to the talent of our opponent. You know, we play worse when we're playing worse teams and we play pretty well against these other teams, frankly, good enough to beat them and then still manage to shoot ourselves in the foot somehow. Um, so I, I, my prediction would be that we lose all three games, but maybe against Wisconsin or Iowa, you know, we do make it close and still lose, which will, I guess, look a little better on Scott's record to say, well, look, we've been competitive with all these teams. Clearly we're so close, but that's been his shtick. And frankly, with a lot of the Riley season as well, you know, Nebraska fans have been hearing that for five years now. And if the, if, if you're still so close, so close, but you can never turn that corner and actually start winning those close games, I feel like fans have to give up on him at some point. And I feel like this is the, t- the time. That's at least my read. Right, right. No, I, I'm with you. 
I'm with you on it. Uh, I just, I just, it's a very difficult situation for our new athletic director <laughs> who, again, yeah. to, for Trev, I mean, this is, this is, this is Trev's first rodeo as a power five athletic director. He's been an athletic director for a number of years, but in a, at a smaller level. Okay. Now he knows Nebraska. He's got a great work ethic as he's described. He's smart. He was an academic all American. He's not a dumb guy at all. So I really believe in Trev and I think he is very true in his desire to have consistency and to have the work ethic that he wants. Okay. Scott hasn't demonstrated that. So, so how long, you know, I, I have a feeling that maybe since Trev came along, he, he's already changed the culture a little bit within Scott's staff because they, they, they've had to uh, eliminate some of the laissez-faire stuff they were doing. And, and, uh, and so maybe a year with that kind of focus totally turns the tables for him. Maybe that's the thing he needed is to be woken up and told that he, he's got to do this or he's gone, right? So um, I don't know. Right. We'll see. Because that goes into the so, whole thing we talked about at the time with like Bill Moose being uh, not on campus a lot, you know, and being an older guy and not as, yeah, directly involved. Whereas Alberts is quite the opposite in terms of being young and, you know, motivated because this is his first big job at a Power Five conference, like you said. So he, he I can see that that being a definite shift in in the athletic department there. Right. But it's more about does he have the list? Does he have the list and the relationships, the connections in place to go out and get and entice, a, you know, a top uh, replacement, right? Who's, who's going to who's going to be on the list of available candidates for Nebraska uh, as we go through this school uh, or this this transition? Right. So um, what, what's going to happen? Um, does he, does he go the route that we've gone before many times now? And that is take a coach from a lesser institution who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience. You know, Bo was a first time head coach, right? Um, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Callahan had never been a head coach at college. Uh, uh, well at, at a power five college, uh, he had been like at Northern Illinois or something. So he had never been a power five coach before that. He had been an NFL coach, but that's a very different animal. Right. And he hadn't been successful, frankly. He got fired as an NFL coach. And then you got um, um, Riley, who had all kinds of time as a power five coach out at Oregon State where football's not important and where he was a coach. And he came to Nebraska and he was still a 500 coach. You know, he was basically still the same coach. So, and then we get Scott. So, so that's been the, the, the sequence, right? So, so what do we do different this time? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I would hope that because he doesn't have that expertise that Trev Albers would say, you know what, I'm going to get an outside firm. I'm going to let them do the process. I'm going to let them go out, find out what the level of interest is in Nebraska football, uh, as a, as a landing spot. And then, and then, and then I'm going to close the deal. Once I know, once I have the list, I'm going to close the deal. Right. Well, sell them on why Nebraska's sleeping giant. 
yeah, I don't know the, I definitely don't know the full politics and like the money and everything behind the university and everything. Cause I know on a previous podcast, we talked about the fact that Scott and his assistants have a considerable buyout still left on their contracts oh, yeah. because they got extended not, not, not too long ago, which is a tough thing for the university to swallow, you know, while everybody's pocketbooks are a little uh, closed up because of COVID and everything. Um, but we made this comparison about LSU. It was even in an even worse financial situation and yet is clearly going to go get somebody to replace Ed Orgeron this year. Um, and as we said on that podcast, uh, this, all of, all of the other sports in Nebraska, are of course, great. And it's great that we've got a great volleyball team and everything else, but the football program is the golden goose. And at some point, you know, like if we keep sucking just for year on after year, you know, the sellout streak is going to end, you know, like there will be a point there. I don't know what the breaking point is for Nebraska fans, you know, but there will be a breaking point. And as Trev Alberts, you know, he that doesn't he doesn't want that to be his legacy, you know, that like Nebraska football, uh, the Nebraska football faithful of Nebraska finally gave up under his tenure. Right. So I think there's incentive to spend the money to pay Scott and to hire a firm. Right. Like you say, and give a coach uh, a generous contract to try to get somebody in with experience uh, at a, you know, mid to top tier uh, power five school uh, to try to fix the mess. Cause you know, the talent is here. The, all the stuff is here, but I think coaches also know that the pressure is very high and the golden boys, Scott Frost came in after a great year at UCF and still couldn't do it and failed. Right. So, you know, the, the shoes are looking awfully heavy to fill for any coach that comes to Nebraska. A- absolutely. But, but see, I, I think it, a, a real football guy, a traditional football guy, Alex, could look at this program and say, okay, I know why Mike Riley failed. I know why Scott Frost failed. Okay. It's simple stuff. Okay. It really is. It's very simple stuff. So if you're, if you're at a place where you're never going to win, let's say you're, you know, like the Indiana coach. Okay. Who's in the Eastern division of the big 10. All right. Mm-hmm. A guy like that. Who's, who's a damn good football coach. He's a football guy. All right. Now, I don't know if he's the right guy. I, just using him as an example, there there are countless guys like him in the uh, lower, the second half of the SEC conference. Right. Some really good coaches who just can't quite get over the hump because they're in a division that's unwinnable. Right. Because they have to be they have to be better than Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and Ohio State all in the same year. How often is that going to happen for Indiana? Last year being the exception. Right. Uh, they they caught lightning in a bottle. Could have done it, but did they? No. Ohio State still ended up winning it, right? So right. so what are the chances now? They've fallen back to earth here this year, and are looking more like the Indiana teams of old. So uh, if you're a coach like that, that's kind of caught in that, and they look at what Nebraska represents, they they have a hundred and seventy million dollar uh, new facility that's going to be just opening up about the time that they make this coaching change, right? So, uh, I mean, he's going to have the primo facilities in the Big Ten Conference from the day he walks onto the campus, whoever takes that job, right? Mm -hmm. And if he could come in with a fresh message of fundamental, sound football, run-first football, 
right? That's what Nebraska fans want. Uh, and then go about recruiting to, to make that happen. Nebraska fans would eat that up. And I mean, eat it up. Okay. And they would support the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. So Scott came in. We thought this is a guy that understands the Nebraska culture and what needs to be done. We thought we would see a, a growth in the, in the, in the running aspect of his system and stuff. Instead, you know, as we've talked about before, he has this incredible lineage of past coaches that he had to learn from. And, and who is it? Who's the one that he takes from and that is the basis of almost everything he does. Chip Kelly, not Tom Osborne, uh, not, right. not, uh, uh, Bill Parcells, uh, you know, not Belichick. Nope. He his the majority of his coaching seems to be based on on fricking Chip Kelly. Right. Blows yeah. me away. Yep. No, well, I, I agree. You know, like have this new coach uh get uh whoever he ends up getting as his assistants, you know, make sure he gets like a really good special teams coach, you know, like little things right. like that would I think be great signals to uh, the Nebraska community, you know, cause like when Scott got hired, right. There's always kind of a, a level of excitement of when a new Absolutely. coach comes in, right. You know, that, that, you can, that can be a boost to recruiting, which we desperately Absolutely. need. You can sell a vision, but Scott can't sell that vision anymore because it's too late. Right. That's why it's so important to show progress. You don't have to be champions, but you have to show positive progress in the, um, uh, the direction of your program in the first three years. And now, you know, uh, we're, we're sitting in, in, you know, the middle of year four or is it five? No, I don't this, even remember. This, now. It's, it's all blurred. No, this is year four with one year being the COVID year. COVID year. Yeah. Okay. So he's had four years and, and we're worse off today than we were in the second half of his first season. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And so, there's been no progress. Well, and so I, well, you can't sell the vision anymore. I, I wouldn't go that far because let's 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 calm down on the negativity a little bit. Because remember, on previous podcasts, we've said that you know uh, overall Adrian's played pretty well this year. You know, this is obviously this is his toughest game for sure of the year. But um, you know, even with that, we came within five points of winning. You know, he's shown you know, some improvements in a lot of aspects of his game, even though he still makes these stupid mistakes at critical moments, which is his Achilles heel. You know, we've seen improvements in the defense. Um, and yep. even though we're playing this really tough schedule and against all these good teams, right, we've managed to play close with them. You know, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Kenneth Walker, that Michigan State running back that had a Heisman Trophy type day against Michigan this past weekend, we contained him really well we, in our game against we, Michigan State. We sure State. did. Oh, we should have beat them. We should have yeah. beat Michigan. We should have beat Oklahoma. Right. We certainly should have beaten Illinois. Right. I so, mean, I mean, yeah. So the but just my point is like I would I wouldn't go so far to say we, as we haven't seen improve. We have seen improvement. It's true. A combination of Scott having a tough schedule, which he can't do anything about, and the core problems still being there. You know the the crappy special teams, the penalties at the beginning of every year, Adrian's bad mistakes, and and Scott's just general unwillingness. It seems to like you know fire an assistant that isn't working or change the game plan halfway through. You know those sorts of things have been consistent, and that's the real problem. Yep, you're you're exactly right. Uh, you you are correct. He he has improved. The quality of talent that we have is way better than it was. When he arrived, there's no doubt about that. 
he he has he has filled the cupboard with some real talent. He has underutilized that talent and just failed to make use of it because he does not have a quarterback that can execute his system the way he wants to execute it. And he sat pat on that rather than going out and getting other options. See, and right. that's the that's the the lack of effort, the lack of work ethic on Scott's part to do everything he could. He could have used he he had an ability to go out and get at least one, if not two more quarterbacks uh, during this offseason that would have been brought in for if for no other reason than to simply uh, compete against um, Adrian and the other quarterback and to provide depth so that if Adrian struggled, you had other players. Okay. And he needed to sell people on that and build that quarterback room so he had options. Yeah. He didn't do that. Right. And well, now here we are. Well, I, this might be a weird analogy, but I'm just imagining, say, Nick Saban, pre all of his success at Alabama, was here at Nebraska you know, as our coach, and we have these struggles with Adrian. There's little doubt in my mind that he would have been willing to go into the transfer portal, find some senior quarterback who was you know, coming off of, or a junior, some experienced quarterback coming off of a better squad, you know, cause he wasn't getting to play or whatever, bring him over here and, you know, play him immediately, you know, and sit Adrian on the bench or whatever. Cause you know, he's the one who brought Tua in, in the middle of the national championship game, right. When they were down, he brings right. in this freshman right. kid, you know, so that's sometimes that's the kind of, you know, do whatever it takes to win, you know, be able to take risks you know, and change things up when they things aren't working, you know, that you need as a coach. Yeah, exactly. And see, we're, do we do we wait around for Scott to learn those lessons and to figure out this Big Ten and how no. you have to be physical and how you have to pr- practice to prepare for this league? Or do we say, you know what, Scott, you've failed to prepare this. Bye. You're yeah. done. You know? Yeah. So. No, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. He had, he had t- some, he had time to adjust, and he, like you say, he has learned. You know, like what he said about, you know, you got to get old and stay old here in the Big Ten. And I didn't understand that at the beginning. You know, he's admitted to, you know, areas where he didn't understand when he came in day one, right? And ways that he has adjusted his way of thinking. Um, but you know, in today's college football, and I've seen all these stats people have been putting up about comparing him to like other coaches across all of, uh, you know, uh, division one football that have played at least like been a coach for at least like 40 games or something like that. And he is near the bottom of the list in terms of like win loss record and all these sorts of stuff. And all these stats were just near the bottom. So, I mean, you know, other coaches have been fired earlier for a lot less. Let's just put it at that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So. So we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Um, let, let's focus just a little bit on this week's game, if you don't mind. Yes, let's um, do that. And then we'll be done with it. Um, <laughs> cause, the, cause I don't want to waste a lot of time on Ohio state. Okay. Ohio state's going to come in. It's, it's at home in, in Lincoln horribly. I mean, this is just like last week, you know, we were seven point favorites last week. Uh, who the hell is doing this shit in <laughs> Vegas? How are they setting these lines? It's freaking stupid. And then to make things worse, what are we doing? We're the big game of the week for Fox. We are the big noon game, which that's the premier game that Fox chooses every week is the big noon game. And it's Nebraska against Ohio State. Are you kidding me? Talk about a a showpiece 
for Ohio State to basically be able to just kick our ass on national TV when most people are watching, where they promote it the most and everything else, and it's going to be a whitewash. And I don't understand in a week when when Washington is playing Oregon, okay, in the Pac-12, which is the other Fox Network uh, conference, why they wouldn't have chosen that Washington-Oregon game to be their big noon game. It just blows me away. The big noon game was the Ohio State-Oregon game earlier in the year. Why wouldn't they have made this one the big noon game? Uh, making Nebraska, it's just going to be a, a, an embarrassment for us. Right. Well, I know. And it wouldn't, uh, not only is it going to likely be uh, uh, one of the first times in, in my lifetime, okay, the first time in my lifetime that that stadium is going to look atrociously empty. First time. Yeah, it's still a sellout because we've sold all the tickets, but there's going to be a ton of empty seats in Nebraska stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to be fair, I know that Washington has also kind of had a bad year. I don't think they're as bad as us, but you know, I know no, it's not, not considered close. to be a, a competitive game, but I, I, I get your point, you know, and I, I don't know what the spread for this game is in Vegas, but it must be massive. Cause uh, yeah, I don't see uh, how we're going to, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we, 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 we were also huge underdogs against Oklahoma and we managed to surprise them. But I think the difference there was, you know, earlier in the season, right? Oklahoma hadn't had things figured out. Now they have Ohio state definitely didn't have things figured out early in the season when they lost to Oregon, right? Right at the beginning, but they have yep. figured things out since then. Um, meanwhile, we've, we're just, you know, we're at a low point right now. So, you know, the timing's not yep. great, which it's never great with us, but you know, that's how it goes. Um, predicting a score here um i'm gonna try to say that it'll be bad but not like blowout city bad um so i'll say that we managed to get uh 17 17 point well let's scratch that a little higher scoring uh 24 points and ohio state gets oh let's think here um, I'll say, uh, 52, 24, 52. And, and I'm going to say, uh, 63 to 17. Oof. All right. That is blowout city. <sighs> and I hope it's not, I hope it's not worse. It, I, I, because here's the thing, Ohio state, if they can, I think Ryan Day wants to send some messages, especially since he didn't get picked in the top five or top top four. Right. If he can put 70 points on us, he will. Oh, yeah. No, I think there's something to that. And, you know, we've talked a couple times this season about like, uh, oh, is this where Scott loses the, the players, you know, loses the team after all these, you know, tough last second losses that we've had, you know, by seven points or less. Um, and so far, you know, like the team hasn't fully given up on him, but with a loss to Purdue and looking down the barrel at Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa, I feel like this might be the time that it happens, you know, and I I hope I hope I'm wrong about that. Um, but uh I'm not seeing much uh positivity for these kids to look forward to to end their season. Right. No, I'm I, I think I think you're uh you're right on, on that. And it it's just so sad because again, like you've pointed out, you know, we played competitively against, you know, three of the nation's top 15 teams, right. Uh, and really, um, should have beaten 
all three of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there was, there was not much of a scenario that would have taken for us to win all three of those games. So it's not that we lack talent or the ability to execute at times to use that talent, but can we do it over 60 minutes and win a football game? Uh, no. And that is culture. Ultimately that is coaching. That is coaching. Well, and I I didn't mention this earlier, but after the third interception in the uh, game against Purdue that I was multitasking watching some smash brothers it was a cool tournament plus our game and i just turned <laughs> i turned our game off at that point because i i knew you know there was like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter or something i knew that we weren't gonna win even if we you know made a comeback i knew that we wouldn't be able to pull it out at the end of the day because i've just seen that uh movie on repeat too many times this season and, 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 well and it was not true. just this season <laughs> It goes back years, you know. Well, right. And again, we've we've had that conversation that you need to have the right quarterback. And we have lived with these quarterback rooms that basically have one option and one option only now for effectively twelve years. Yeah. We've had twelve years of of a quarterback room where basically you had one quarterback who was quote quote good enough on occasion and no one else who you felt confident you could put in. Yeah. And yep. that's been true for 12 years. You would yeah, you would think that like when Riley came in or when Scott came in, you know, they would look at the past success of right. that and say, I'm not going to do that. But but we Right. I'm going to find anyways. a way. I'm going to I'm going to find a way to populate my quarterback room enough that I'm going to have options, okay? I'm going to have options at quarterback. And yet Scott hasn't done it. Now, part of that is the quarterback position has evolved. It's changed, and the quarterbacks are the, are the most. They're, they're the quick. They're, they're the kids that are the quickest to pull the trigger and and transfer and leave one program to go to another. You know that hopping around of that position is greater than probably any other position. Um, and so it's hard to keep a quarterback room. But you know what? There's an awful lot of schools that seem to be doing it. You know, look at Oklahoma. Right, or or just being able to you know scout out the 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 B tier quarterback or whatever on according to, you know, rivals or whoever, the three star that's secretly, you know, like maybe not, not like a superstar, but you know, a good quarterback, you solid. know, and yeah, they're solid. Right. Right. Yeah. Just to have a solid backup that you can rely on when your uh, starter throws four interceptions, right? You should have somebody who's solid and shouldn't be right. that hard. So, all it right. Shouldn't. It shouldn't. Moving on, moving on. We, we, we've talked a lot about Scott here. We um, beat the dead horse. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, we're going to go through some of the games for week nine. Um, okay. Georgia had a very impressive win against Florida, uh, 34 to seven. Uh, their defense showing off why they're the best in the country yet again. Um, this was an interesting one. Uh, I didn't get to watch it live, but I saw some of the replays. Uh, Wisconsin versus Iowa. Uh, Iowa was the higher ranked team, uh, but Wisconsin controlled that pretty nicely, uh, 27 to seven. Um, I believe it was 20 to nothing at halftime and, you know, good on Iowa's defense to like keep Wisconsin's scoring down. Um, but I believe Iowa had several fumbles in that game. Um, and so I believe, yeah, like one, one of the score touchdowns Wisconsin did get was off of an Iowa fumble, like right at the goal line. Um, so, you Correct. know, they, yep. they made some mistakes that kind of let Wisconsin have that uh, dominating lead. But I believe you predicted last week that Wisconsin would win that. So 
Another feather Again. in your cap. Because your dad's wise. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't let it get too <laughs> too hard to your head there, buddy. Um, <laughs> and then uh, also within the Big Ten, a lot of big games. Um, Ohio State played against Penn State, um, which, you know, when Ohio State was definitely the favorite in that game um, because Penn State was a little down this year. But Penn State, you know, played with them, you know, kept it competitive. It was, I believe, tied around the early third quarter. Uh, but Ohio State managed to pull away. I know Penn State had some, I believe they had some early turnovers that kind of let Ohio State go up quickly. Um, and they, you know, weren't just weren't able to, to fight back to win. Um, so Ohio State ended up winning that 33-24. Yep, and that was surprisingly uh, competitive, I guess. I, I really thought that Ohio State had turned a corner and that they were really going to start to dominate. But they apparently waited until this week to do that. <laughs> yeah. I do remember they got one of their touchdowns was off of a, a pick by one of the the big guys. Uh, the big guys on the defense, you know, got the ball and just ran it down for a touchdown, which I always love to see. Those are funny. Um, and then uh, the big game, of course, that we gave our predictions on was the rivalry game between Michigan and Michigan State. Um we both predicted that Michigan would win, although our scores were different. I said 35-28. You said 35-21. Um, but it ended up being a Michigan State victory of 37-33. A big factor in that being that uh, I believe Michigan got in the red zone six times, but only two of those times did they come away with touchdowns. All Correct. the rest were field goals. Right. I, I mean, and there were points in that game where Michigan was on the verge of being able to run Michigan State out of the out of the stadium, so to speak, uh, and and they couldn't capitalize on it. And 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 uh, credit Michigan State, they play like their coach. Their coach demands toughness and mental toughness, and play hard every single play. Forget the last play, do the next play. You know, short memory, all that stuff. He teaches those concepts and gets his team committed to fight for 60 minutes, no matter what. And that's why they win. Uh, and th they just wanted it more. And um, it paid off for them. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you know, I, I, the, 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 the good news for us Big Ten fans, I think, is that, that I don't know what um, the coach uh, there, um, uh, Tucker, is thinking, but I believe he's going to have the opportunity to take the LSU job. That's what I believe. And, and him being an SEC guy, the opportunity to take a team like LSU, who's a multiple national championship type program, and certainly one of the few spots from a recruiting base standpoint that could compete with the Alabamas and the Floridas and the Georgias of the world, the Ohio States of the world, uh, that will be a hard offer to turn down. Uh, so Michigan State will have to throw so much money at him and his assistants. Um, but even so, I can't describe a scenario where where Michigan State could create a circumstance where that guy had the opportunities that he would have if he takes the LSU job. So if there's good news for Michigan, it's that in all likelihood, because they lost that game, there's a very good chance that Michigan State uh, will end up losing their head coach at the end of this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he, what year is he in? Is he this year one or year two? First. First. I think it's the first. Wow. Well, no, I, I actually, um, I think maybe, I mean, I mean, he was the coach last year um, um, in the COVID year, I think. 
Michigan State was. He was. Uh, yeah. But then, uh, but then he uh, uh, he had only been one year at Colorado, and Colorado has completely tanked since he left. And then uh, he tr- he came off to not not one year. I'm sorry that he he was there for two years at Colorado, and then he came to Michigan State. So he's been at Michigan State for two years. So the is though is that I think LSU is going to come a knocking for him. Yeah. Well, and I, I was curious, so I just checked. Um, Michigan State, they've got uh, two kind of easier teams. They're playing against Purdue, who we just lost to, and then Maryland. Uh, but then they have Ohio State into Penn State to end their season. So they've still right. got two tough challenges ahead of them. Um, but if they can oh, yeah. if they can pull through those, then I think he's definitely gone, <laughs> like you say. Right. Well, I, I, I figure if he goes one and one in those two games, even if he goes 0 and 2 in those two games, if he wins the next two weeks and he's whatever that would be, 10 and 0, um, then that will be enough. And he will be being, he will be heavily in the conversation for that LSU job, I think. Yeah. Yep. That definitely makes sense. Um, and then uh, looking ahead to this week, um, as we mentioned, there aren't quite as many uh, great games. There's Oregon, Washington, uh, Alabama, LSU, which is at Alabama. So I kind of expect Alabama to uh, crush LSU. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. One of interest, though, between two closely ranked teams in the SEC is uh, Auburn versus Texas A&M. Um, Auburn is just coming off of a bit of an upset victory over Ole Miss, where they won 31 to 20. Um I'm not 100% sure wh- who's at home there, so I'll look that up here real quick. But what are your thoughts on that game? I feel like A&M's the better team there. Uh, they're the more talented team. Mm-hmm. Looking at they're both 6-2, and two and it is at A&M. So I guess that would okay. lean towards well, you. That, yeah, that would definitely make me lean to A&M then, for sure. Okay. Yep. Cool. Well, I... I, I like what I've seen of Auburn, what little I have. You know, I think their quarterback seems like a fun a fun quarterback to watch, Bo Nix. I know he had a yep. good game against Ole Miss. Uh, so I'll go right. ahead and predict that even though it's at Texas A&M, Auburn manages to win, though it'll be a close game. Uh, so I'll say they end up winning, um, let's say, uh, 35 to uh, 31 over Texas A&M. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to say that A&M is going to win and I'm going to say it's going to be more like 38, 24. It's going to be a more substantial differential, um, where A&M wins comfortably. All right. Very good. Very good. And one other game that might be interesting is the Baylor coming off of a victory over Texas is going to be playing TCU this week. Uh, and TCU uh, made headlines by saying that they would be uh, firing Gary Patterson, uh, not at the end of the season, but I believe it was an immediate uh, termination. So, um, oh, really? Yep. No, that's what oh, I saw. I thought it was an agreement. I thought it was an agreement to part ways at the end of the season. Nope. nope. Uh-huh. I think it was the he- headline I saw said effective immediately or whatever. Effective um, immediately, which is yeah, huh. like you say, quite a shock because I know that they have been more down in recent years, but he really built that program up, uh, right into what it is today. Yeah, that that seems odd to me, huh? Um, well, um, you know what that 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 bodes well, uh, that bodes well to me for a ba- a Baylor victory, but. You know, you don't know how a team's going to respond in that situation, right? 
they could really rally around their old coach and play one, you know, win one for the Gipper kind of thing. Um, but I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. It is, interesting. but but I'm gonna. I would pick. I would pick Baylor in that in that scenario for sure. I yeah. think they're the better team this year. Yeah. No, I think that's correct. Um, I would lean towards Baylor on that one as well. Um, mm. But it is interesting in that that opens up another, you know, head coaching job. It's not on the level of prestige of like an LSU or USC, but certainly being there in Texas and getting that Texas recruiting, right? That's a, a tempting thing for head coach because that's also part of the whole into what plays into firing Scott, right? Is like what other positions are open, you know, in terms of like, could we get right. the guy we really want with all this other stuff open? But that gets tricky. Cause like every year there's, you know, there's something open. So. Yep. Ex exactly. If you wait the following year, there's going to be some other big name programs that are going to have decided, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of tumblers that are going to likely fall. So the premier coaches that are the hot commodity, so to speak, coming out of this season, they're going to have lots of choices, right? Uh, depending on who who does LSU choose, who does USC choose. If those two schools choose coaches that already have coaching jobs somewhere else, then that opens other opportunities, right? Because those coaches move. Um, and so then there's other really attractive jobs that come open. Um, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we will see for sure. Um, and the last thing that we'll be talking about today is what we teased at the beginning, that the uh, playoff rankings have finally started here this week. And um, it was quite interesting to see the decisions that the uh, playoff committee made. Um, going to the uh, AP poll for a second here for this week, uh, the AP poll's uh, top five was Georgia, Cincinnati, Alabama, Oklahoma, Michigan State. So that was their top five. And if we go to the playoff committees, it was Georgia one, Alabama two, Michigan State three, Oregon number four, five Ohio State with Cincinnati at six. Um, which is interesting because I think it goes to show uh, that they are, they are valuing uh, strength of schedule, right? Because uh, Cincinnati dropped quite considerably from two to six between those two polls, um, as well as Oregon jumping up a bit um, with their uh, schedule and their win over Ohio State from Ohio the beginning State. of the year. Right. That's really doing a lot for them. I would agree. I would agree. And again, those polls are, are uh, they, they will, uh, again, that, that poll is a snapshot every week. And the only one that really matters is the one at the end, right? Mm -hmm. And they have, that, that committee has shown themselves as being willing to revisit uh, even between the last week, right? Uh, uh, you know, somebody who they placed at, in one spot and moved them forward or back based on what that full net, um, um, you know, uh, what do I want to say, information or data set provides. And so Cincinnati has the, the challenge that if they're already sitting at six, they are going to need some people to help them, right? They're going to, some of those teams play each other, like Ohio State, Michigan State, for example, that are in front of them, right? So they have opportunities to move up because those other folks, uh, one of them is going to fall back, 
right? Either Ohio State or Michigan State, uh, based on those head-to-heads. Um, however, there's some teams behind them because you still have Oklahoma, who's undefeated, and there's another team back there that I'm trying to think of. Well, there's Michigan. Um, Michigan's only got one loss. Yeah, so there's some teams that are behind Cincinnati as well that could leapfrog them if they won out, right? Because their their strength of schedule, their quality wins, all that sort of stuff will grow. Uh, will grow, and Cincinnati, except for the possibility of a, th- I think one team left on their schedule who isn't currently ranked, but if who if they continue to win. And then later in the season, it's likely that they might be like 25 or something or 23 by the time they face each other. Well, actually, you know what I mean? So um, looking at this, uh, they've got Tulsa, South Florida, and then SMU is the team you're thinking of. And they actually are listed here as 23rd on the AP poll. Um, okay. Yeah. So SMU is a team that could be ranked by the committee by the time that those two face each other. But that's the only, you know, um, uh, you know, what do I say, top 25 win that they have available to them. Whereas, you know, uh, Oklahoma obviously has the opportunity to uh, play, uh, you know, some additional games that are going to that that are going to help them in terms of their strength of schedule more than Cincinnati's got in front of them. Uh, Michigan has some quality opponents yet to play that could help them jump forward, you know, that sort of deal. So it's just going to be really, really tough for Cincinnati to climb up that thing unless some unexpected losses happen. Like, for example, if we're if Nebraska were to beat Ohio State, right? Now all of a sudden Ohio State's got two losses, unexpected loss to Nebraska. Uh, they fall way behind Cincinnati and, and those teams, and Cincinnati doesn't have to worry about them anymore, right? So, yeah, I did see one commentator mentioning that um, right now Oregon's over Ohio State clearly because they have the head to head win over Ohio State. Um, But I believe when when you're comparing their strength of schedule, Ohio State has a tougher road ahead of them, more ranked opponents than Oregon does. So if Ohio State wins out with that, they will definitely pass Oregon by the before the conference championship games. Absolutely. Or after it. I mean, if, if, if Ohio state is to win out, they're going to beat a a third ranked Michigan state. They're going to meet, beat a top 10 Michigan. Uh, You know what I mean? So, so there's two uh, significant wins that they get between now and the end of the season. Then they're going to play whoever the big 10 West champion is, say Wisconsin, who by then will probably be in the mix. Who, you know what I mean? Uh, Top 15 type team. Um, and so, um, they'll have plenty of opportunities to bump their, their, uh, resume. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seems that way. Um, I am going to definitely be curious to see how the Alabama Georgia game goes, because I think we mentioned this earlier in the year, but if Alabama loses, you know, and they have two losses, there's no way I can see them being in the in the top four, but if Alabama beats Georgia, which seems like the more you know likely outcome based on history, and then both of them right. are one and one, we may be in another situation where we have two SEC teams in that top four, which I know oh yeah both of us would not like, but it definitely seems like a possibility. I think it's very real. I think it's likely. So uh, because uh, now th- th- they don't play in the regular season, do they? Though they no. play. 
So they will likely face each other in the conference championship game. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Okay. All right. So so we're going to have to wait till that game before either one of them loses in all likelihood. The only thing you could hope for is that maybe Auburn pulls off the upset like they're known to do of beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would be the one possibility that I could see. Yep. That game does have a tendency to be crazy. <laughs> that is for yes, sure. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Well, hopefully uh, we'll be here next, you know, based on what you just said, Nebraska upsets Ohio State. They fall behind Cincinnati. You know, we're, yeah. we're, 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 we're predicting a positive future here. <laughs> right. No. I, I, honestly, Alex, at this point, I, I just I, I hope we play competitively. I hope we don't embarrass ourselves. And I hope we don't get all banged up and injured. If we can come out of that game, go into the bye week, get ourselves healthy, and with a little bit of confidence from having been able to be competitive against an Ohio State uh, for say three quarters or two and a half quarters or something uh, before they, you know, their their superior talent emerges, uh, that would maybe lend us to the confidence that we need to to knock off one of those last two, Wisconsin or Iowa. Yeah. I don't know which one, but yeah. all right. Yep, that's what we got to hope for at this point. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can also find us on anchor.fm. Uh, please rate us, give us a review. We always love hearing from the fans. Constructive criticism is always appreciated. So thank you all out there for listening. Thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.